This is Limitless Possibility. I'm Yannick Mringham. And I'm Luc Olivier Dumoblet. And our topic this week is... I recently got two Google Nest Minis, and I'll be using that as an excuse to talk again about smart home devices and me reviewing those two new devices that I got for my home. Sweet. But first, we have some follow-up. Yes, we do. And I need to start this follow-up section for this week with a question for you, Yannick. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the last episode, we talked, uh, you talked in great length about Stadia and you mentioned that Stadia hasn't received any updates in a while. So is it still alive? So as far as I know, Google has responded to the fact that there have been no updates, but is that has been the only update as far as I'm aware. So what they said, oh, we know there was no update and that's it. I haven't actually gotten around to watching the YouTube videos that talk about what they ex- specifically they said. So I'm assuming it's something like that, but I have no idea. Wow. Okay. So I guess uh, people can still enjoy it. And there might be a video about the future of Stadia on YouTube. So I guess uh, we will put it in the show notes and then we'll see at that point. What's Stadia happening. is still a thing. It's just it's as much of a thing as it was when we last spoke. <laughs> That's good to hear. In the week following the release of our episode about uh, cloud gaming and all of that stuff, GeForce Now actually launched. Uh, as I mentioned on the episode, I was part of the beta, and I guess I had submitted my uh, beta request a few months ago, and then since they were just about to launch, they just wanted to like, open the floodgates to all the people who signed up to the beta, so that's probably why I got an invite. And yeah, uh, free and paid tiers are available. The free tier is limited to a one-hour session at a time, but you can have as many of them as you want. And it uses weaker two-year-old GPUs. If you decide to go through the paid tier, uh, the paid tier can have sessions up to six hours long, and it uses the newest GeForce RTX GPUs. And of course, if you use a paid tier, you get ray tracing, which is one of the features of these GPUs. Although I can't really think of that many impressive ray tracing games that are available on the service so i'm not quite sure what that is about although i guess the new uh, call of duty technically has some of that uh so the paid tier is 5.99 per month for 2020 which is an incredibly aggressive deal and um again once again you have to remember that you have to bring your own games like we mentioned on the previous episodes uh so you have to buy them on steam or a similar service and be able to log into it on geforce now and the free tier is actually kind of interesting because it seems like a pretty effective way to give the service a fair test run on your internet connection to see if it's viable on your connection quality um so it's neat for that and it's also neat to be able to log into magic arena for a little while every once in a while as like i mentioned on the show speaking of which uh, i have some magic the gathering related follow-up uh this is something we mentioned on episode 121 and episode 69 Magic the Gathering Arena was just announced to be coming for mobile uh, this week before the end of the year, although it is unclear whether they meant uh, calendar year 2020 or fiscal 2020 because the source was a Hasbro earnings call. Uh, So uh, I guess we'll find out by the end of the fiscal year. Um, But yeah, uh, interesting news there. Uh, It was always kind of confusing to me why they were pushing to have a Mac version of Magic Arena before a mobile version. And now it seems that both will be coming out uh, within the year. So that is going to be great. But in the meantime, I'm going to play it through GeForce now. And that's it for my follow-up. Good. So this week, uh, I'll be reviewing the Google Nest Mini 2nd Gen. Oh my goodness, that's always a mouthful. So I guess from now on, I'll just refer it as the Nest Mini. Uh, 
those I got recently uh, around the uh, holiday season. And my episode is following episode 109 and all of the Yannick episode about uh, Alexa or Lady in a Canister. Uh, so I decided to have this week's episode into my own discussion about my uh, smart own setup with the latest addition that is those two Ness minis. So first, I will on to discuss the my current smart up setup, uh, my current smart home setup, which will ignore the Google Minis for now. Then I want to explain how they maybe or maybe not have changed my setup. And last but not least, I want to evaluate what is Google's current play in the smart home market. So first, let's jump into the smart home setup before Google enter my home. In all of our uh, previous episodes, I always mentioned that I didn't have that much smart appliances. Um, I do feel that I started quite early, even if, I w- if they were quite limited. I started like a couple of years back. I always forget exactly when, but I started uh, years back with a Philips Hue starter kit. Uh, so it is going to be it included a Gen One bridge. Uh, more on that later, it, and also included three. A19 color bulbs. So A19 is the default socket that you will see here in Canada and I guess also in US, as far as I remember, and a lot of places. But uh, yeah, especially in North America, this is the default uh, sockets you'll see on your ceiling or even on uh, the typical floor lamps. And at that time, it was I was uh, recently moved to Montreal, so I had a small apartment, and this starter kit was just perfect because I had a couple of bulbs in the apartment, uh, and three bulbs more or less gave light to all the apartment. So that was a perfect setup. And what I like about Philips Hue is always uh, it was a change from normal bulbs is the flexibility of changing colors for the bulbs. Uh, but this flexibility was always in conflict and I was always on the painful side because while it was super nice to have just a dumb, wa- a dumb switch on the wall uh, to do a lot of the interaction, I always needed to use my phone. And because of that pain point, that's when I decided to buy the Philips U tap switch. Uh, we discussed it in past episode. I think, Yannick, I don't know if you got one, but you were maybe considering getting one. I don't have one, but I had heard Merlin Mann talk about it a lot on various podcasts, and that's why I brought it up. Perfect. Uh, but this is more or less kind of a pox side. This is dingus, if we use uh, Merlin Mann's uh, words, uh, that you can put on your wall that is used to trigger scenes. And this is four buttons, so it's a bit more... Uh, combination than just a wall switch and those will trigger uh, actions or in uh, the Philips Hue's uh, wording they will trigger scenes. So that setup lasted me for at least three to two to three years uh, and recently what I've done is we bought a new uh, so a couple of years back we moved to a bigger apartment and we focused those three bulbs in our living room and recently, we wanted more light in our living room, uh, and we decided to buy a Ektar three spotlight floor lamp from IKEA. I'll put the link in the show notes. So, but just imagine three big spotlights, uh, and those were using the, if I recall correctly, the uh, U. No, it's the E12. So it's like a tenor profile uh, bulb, and we decided to get some for cheap. Uh, and if my memory is right, that was not 
this Christmas season, but the past Christmas season, because I remember getting them for quite cheap. But all in all, uh, this means that those three bulbs, those three bulbs in one lamp plus uh, one of the three bulbs remained in the living room, and uh, I moved two of the bulbs in the bedroom. So I meant that two of my, I guess, but mostly used, but two of my most important rooms in my apartment were available to use uh, smart lighting. And I feel that in general, smart lighting is super useful in the living room because, yeah, as its name suggests, is the room you might spend the most time in it. Uh, and if you are like me and you watch a lot of TV, uh, you can make quite great lighting effect uh, with the TV. There's even also uh, Philips Hue plugins that you can used to synchronize with the tv that i haven't tried not really interested but i like i really like to set the mood especially late at night or even when watching tv that is just like different temperatures of white uh, i really like the flexibility that the uh, philips u color bulbs give you compared to uh, what the launch after because if you recall correctly philips u started with color bulbs only mm-hmm. then they added the uh, ambience bulbs that were different temp white temperatures and they also had the like the, the cheapest ones are just white ones at temperature that those you can get for quite cheap yep i think in like something like 25 30 canadian dollars compared to uh, the color ones which are around like 55 60 if you get this uh, typical uh, a19 socket and f- even with the latest addition of just getting more bulbs, for more of the recent years, that was my home setup. Uh, I was taking advantage of just more versatile lighting and not really was in, I, like, I even evaluated, uh, uh, getting some smart, uh, like smart plugs, uh, small wall outlet. Uh, and even then I realized that, like, for example, if I want to use that with, uh, the coffee machine, the coffee machine already has a timer, so it's a bit useless. Uh, if I want to use that with the kettle, uh, again, the way the kettle works with its switch, even if I will have still to put, always remember to put water. And I felt that uh, all of the other accessories that I could add to my life and my apartment were not really adding more benefits compared to what I was getting out of a smart lighting system. In our past episode where Yannick was kind of going around all of what you could consider in your smart home, uh, we did mention some of the, tra- the downsides and upsides of different systems. Of course, I've been stuck more or less with Philips U because that's where I started. They're still, I feel, the best player on the market, uh, but throughout the years, they have more players. And for that, I won't talk much about them because I have not that much experience with those players. But uh, Yannick did uh, quite a review in episode 109. And the one that was the most tempting for me at some point was to switch with the IKEA system, which is a bit less flexible because it's mostly uh, white bulbs or white different white temperatures bulbs. Uh, but they are way, way cheaper than uh, Philips. Does it still exist? Because last time I went to IKEA, I could not see any of the smart lighting stuff at all. If I recall correctly, that's... It, it, they got moved. So IKEA's first foray into smart, smart homes was with lighting. Yes. And I, when they recently launched their partnership with Sonos, they've been pretty, uh, 
public about the fact that their first foray into smart automation, smart home, excuse me, was not greatly successful. And it was not also not greatly successful inside IKEA. It was always kind of a side project. Mm-hmm. And now with their partnership with Sonos, they are really rehabilitating and putting putting as a kind of a core business unit of IKEA now. Um, I have to find this video that I'm talking about it because it was super. I think it was on it was a The Verge article, and it was more or less to say that like each room in your apartment, if you go to an IKEA store, it's its own department in the IKEA store, and mm-hmm. the way the company is organized is also like. Each like kitchen, living room, bedroom is its own business unit, and now with this new partnership with Sonos and the the idea the ideas that they have to improve and they have their own twist to smart homes of 2020, I would say or 2019, I think it was a bit last year. Uh, they've promoted like smart home into its own business unit, if you call it this way. So I'll try to take a note and uh, find it for uh, the show notes because it was a super interesting video. And for all of this to say is sometimes, depending on which IKEA, uh, it is still available. I think they might rely on you to uh, order it online. But last time I've been to IKEA is there like there's a small shelf next to all the Sonos product where they're talking about lighting. And that's where it got moved versus where it was before in the lighting section. Small detour about IKEA, but that was uh, nice. Uh, but all in all, like I said, my main focus was on lighting. Uh, this year, we added something new, which is the iRobot Roomba 960 that Yay. I bought uh, during uh, the last Black Friday. And I agree with Yannick. Uh, it is not that I was skeptical of Roomba, but I was always looking at the price, and the 960 is not the cheap gadget no um like the best deal i've seen is 550 i think even i think a week or so ago i, I saw, I saw it here in canada at 500 dollars, and it's not 500 dollars for uh like for a robot is not cheap and they even have more expensive mode and they also have like cheaper uh model uh but to me that was that was a big game changer in my apartment day-to-day life but not in the home automation and smart home way uh smart home way yes but not to push automation i would say that um so i've talked in great lengths that i have two cats and two cats means a lot of cat air and since then they're all gone so that's why we love the roomba uh the 960 can be a program on a schedule which is always nice but I felt that when I was trying to put it in my smart home system, the limitation were the not the limitation, the system were quite limited. The integrations to those smart home systems. But I'll I'll come back a bit on uh, the Roomba and uh, Google Home and maybe even other integration uh, a bit when we'll talk about the mini itself. Small tangent about my current setup before Google is uh, Philips Hue. So I just mentioned that I was also thinking and maybe switching to the IKEA system. And the main driving factor for this was uh, Siri support. So knowing that I bought my Philips Hue system, uh, let's say about four or five years ago, um, this bridge supports Alexa and Google Assistant out of the box because uh, they are able to use the API integration to talk to it. Whereas when 
HomeKit got released. Uh, we talk in Greenland in past episodes that you, the manufacturers of smart appliances needed to have more secure requirements, more secure uh, chipset in those devices. And it meant that, of course, Philip Hue saw that as an impurity and they released a bridge V2. Uh, and the main distinction between both of them is the V1 is a circle and uh, the V2 is a squiggle, like it's kind of a square, but not a square, a la Apple. Um, and the main distinction between the two of them uh, is one supports on kit, the other does not. Um, and for uh, for a while after uh, Philips released the V2, like that was the main difference. Uh, but in the recent year, uh, their iOS app has been started to be a bit inconsistent. Always kind of like uh, either a version was good, the other version was a bit uh, bad. And what I mean by that is they were optimizing for certain workflows and it felt a bit like uh, what we discussed in some of the episodes about uh, Foursquare and unbolding of uh, apps is it felt that in one particular version of the app, uh, I guess like a workflow, I don't know, like maybe like toggling, like using the uh, home use app as more or less kind of a virtual switch so you are always seeing the accessories themselves and you can toggle it then on and off the next version was maybe optimized more for scenes and toggle, like changing from scenes to scene and they will have a couple of updates in in the let's say like two years ago that was like it will change from one to the other like every update after that um they also started to uh were mentioned to bridge version one users that the current Philips Hue app would not no longer support their bridge and I feel since then that has been like a like a rapid down uh, grade since then the main reason is because I don't know why still uh, because I don't have a bridge v2 but from what I've read like there's not that much new changes in the bridge uh, I think the new bulb that might be a bit brighter and a couple of more new automation feature but all in all they're more or less the same technology and they've decided, I guess, for like tech debt or some weird reason that they should have two apps, one for Bridge V1 and one for Bridge V2, uh, and kind of downplay the experience in V1. And after a while, they literally, like, you would launch the original lab that you had that is not only V2 compatible, and it will tell you, oh, no, uh, I don't see anything. And then... Even at that point, uh, if you were a bit like me and you left all your data, you've seen that were configured, you would move to the other app. Yes, the other app will recognize your bridge, but all the scenes configuration, um, like the colors you want, or you want this color for this bulb and all that stuff, that was gone. Um, so that kind of, I'll be honest, like pisses me off because at that point, it was not the burden of reconfiguring everything because uh, most of the, like the, the rooms uh, and which bulbs is associated with which group is in the bridge itself but like the scenes themselves your color configuration are only stored in the app knowing that this kind of like bridge apocalypse was happening that's where i was talking to shop around because i'm like like i need to buy another bridge at least like 70 dollars and I've seen the IKEA setup being so cheap sometimes that like a starter kit will be around $100. And I would like, start from scratch, yes. But I always felt that it would be a bit more flexible and like compared, and not maybe not compared to your next experience, but every time I go to IKEA, I would see uh, bulbs that were compatible with it. Um, so, but in the end, I never took the plunge and stick with it. And also I never 
really upgraded my uh, bridge to v2 and that's where my uh, own bridge experience comes in because I kind of add a bit of experience with HomeKit and that's through HomeBridge, which is an open source software that you can install on more or less anything. And that is to take smart accessories that may have APIs like Philips Hue and bring them in and make them compatible with HomeKit. So HomeBridge, this software that's running on your Mac, I think it's a Node.js software if I recall correctly. Uh, and that could be run on your Mac, PC, even on Raspberry Pi, uh, will break the, bring those capabilities uh, and allows you to play with HomeKit. And one of the main things I really love with HomeKit is its automation features, which were, I think, they're, they were good. I haven't, of course, I haven't tried all the new fancy iOS 13 automation features of HomeKit, but I, I feel they were a good base, uh, maybe not as powerful uh at that time as uh, IFTTT, for example, or even uh, what Alexa can do. But I feel that uh, it was a good foundation to go forward. And now that uh, they have, uh, they allow you to more or less run shortcuts from the shortcuts app or let you build shortcuts inside the home kit uh, or the the home app from Apple, I feel that I want to revisit a home kit maybe in the coming months to see uh, what I can improve uh, there. But that kind of goes against uh, maybe having Nest Minis. And that's where we will discuss uh, a bit why I got Nest Minis, knowing that, as you might know, I have a shit ton of Apple devices. Before I go on that, uh, if you are interested to be more in the DIY, DIY solution and continue, you have a lot of hardware and you want to just hack around and like create proxies between all of these. Uh, Yannick sent me a couple of weeks back a link from a company called Hubs, H-O-O-B-S. Hoops. And it's more or like, hoops, but it, they have a pronunciation on guides and it said H-U-B-Z. So Hubs. Uh, but it more or less those letters, H-O-O-B-S, that's how it's spelled, means home bridge out of the box. I don't know why there's an S, but I guess it's for multiple ones. But all in all, it's I think it's Swedish or... It's definitely European, but... Yeah, yeah, European. But I have a feeling that it was a Scandinavian company. But they offer three products. They offer the UBS, which is more or less a full raspberry pi that is properly configured with their software that has a micro sd pre-flash with it and that comes like you even they even even ship you the um the uh, ethernet cable and that costs around 200 usd plus taxes plus shipping but it's an all-in-all like one-stop solution you can also just buy the pre-flash micro sd chip so let's say you have a raspberry pi you can just like tell them i'll install the thing on my on the sd card and ship uh, ship one to me or, of course, if you fully want it to do it yourself, uh, the image are available for free on their website. And this is more or less uh, a nice GUI on top of HomeBridge because I've played with HomeBridge and I think while its goal is super nice and it is quite a powerful tool and server at this point, it is not really the easiest one to configure Um and sometimes, like, uh, depending on which plugin, because more or less it is a server that you add plugins for all the, per- the smart home accessories you want to talk to. And 
depending on the popularity of the non-OMKIT compatible devices you want to connect to it, um, the documentation for said plugin might be super good to non-existent. So you have to figure out yourself by reading the code, which is fun, uh, but it might mean that it's not a, like five minutes and it's configured, which I haven't tried it. I only look at the website, but it feels to me that that's why OBS is trying to do is give you a solution where you might have your old LG TV that is not OMKIT compatible like I do. Uh, you might have an old Philips Hue bridge and you have a lot of, th- a lot of other things that you've invested into and you don't want to switch everything or like change a lot of bridges. Uh, so you buy this, um, and you only buy one thing in the end to make a lot of your smart own accessories still relevant in if you want a home kit setup. Yep, I'll try to remember to put the Dubai Friday episode where Hoobs was mentioned, uh, where I found out about it, uh, because there was a lot of very interesting information during that episode. Good. So that is mainly it for my current setup. As you can see, it was mainly focused on Philips Hue because that's mainly what I had a purpose of. We added the Roomba, which the Roomba was a great addition for my apartment, not a great addition for uh, my smart own fun hacking, let's put it this way. Um, and then um, something happened with Google uh, during the uh, Christmas 2019 season. So I always kind of looked at any of the smart assistant speaker Um but I always add one requirement. Um, and this one requirement for a long time was only fulfilled by Siri is that even I, I, I still want to talk in French to those assistant. Um, I guess it's just a personal preference. Uh, but in my day to day personal life, uh, I rarely tend to speak English. So I kind of am stubborn and still want to talk in them to them in French. And, up until I would say two a year and a half ago, uh, it was the only contender was Siri. With all its problems, only Siri was doing that. Then Google uh, started to ship their all of their smart home accessories and dingus in Canada because they've added support to it. And last but not least, also Amazon did the same with Alexa, and now all of the three major players support it. So when uh, Google announced in last Christmas during the holiday season that they were giving uh, Nest Mini's second gen for free for YouTube premium members, um, it was a hard. I was it was a hard non-sell. Let's put it this way: it was hard to resist and not uh, try it. I didn't get one. You did not, and though you did already have a couple of Amazon speakers at yes. your place, so. I, I can understand why you didn't get any, but I feel that for somebody that had nothing except iPhones and iPads and Macs with Siri, which I don't think it counts as a smart speaker, um, was a was a great deal. Uh, usually in Canada, they're worth $69, but of course, uh, during the holiday season, I've seen them like for pretty cheap, around $30. But all in all, if you count that, uh, right now I've, I'm subscribed to a lot of, uh, like, uh, video subscription services and YouTube premium is definitely the most expensive, uh, especially mm-hmm. when you have a family plan, especially aka you want to have more than one user on it. Uh, it's about 
20 Canadian dollars. So yeah, getting, getting, uh, free hardware, hardware really subsidized this, uh, YouTube premium plan that I've been paying for the last few months. It's like a mini Google IO ticket. Yes. <laughs> okay. I forgot what was the price of the Google IO ticket. That's why I'm like, uh, what? Well, for, for regular goers, it was $600, but for students, it was $100. And when I, when I was a student and I got way uh... more than $100 of hardware out of it. Uh, yes, uh, I wouldn't say that it's the same equivalence because, uh, YouTube premium is still expensive, but. Yes, very expensive for what you get, really. Yes. Taking the fact that I've ordered one and a couple of days after Tony and I discussed and we have ordered a second one with his own account because they were all in the same family plan. Uh, that was quite a great deal because if you had, I think the maximum, uh, for YouTube premium when you create a family bundle is five or six people but all of the people in your family was eligible for this so in the end you could end up with as much nest minis as there's people in your family that is subscribed to youtube premium under the same plan so i felt it was a good deal especially when you look at the device itself so i want to start with uh the hardware like we're Yannick and I are like Apple people. We always focus on the hardware quality. And for a device that is worth $70, it was surprisingly good, the quality of it. I'll start with the hardware and the packaging. Um, the packaging was really Apple, like a nice box. I still have them uh, next to me here in my office. Uh, and even inside, they work like well packaged, easy to remove, not too much like flimsy plastic stuff. Uh, the device itself too is um, of good quality. Of course, to be seventy dollars, there's still like, like the behind of it is uh, cheap plastic. But I like that they use uh, fabric on top of it. So uh, if you Google a picture of it, if you haven't seen uh, Google Nest Mini uh, ever, it is more or less kind of a round bubble and uh, the kind of Everything you see, if you lay it down flat on a table, everything you will see is uh, with uh, fabric texture or it's covered with fabric more or less. Uh, I wouldn't say it's the same type, but this fabric reminds me of a lot uh, a lot of what uh, Apple is doing with the HomePod, what Amazon is doing with Alexa devices. I think they're all going to this kind of fabric uh, material for home speaker because I guess it looks good. Uh, with the current uh, design trends of today. But does it look good long-term? That's the question that nobody's really answered yet. I would say I tend to think that it would look good because especially for the the Nest Mini, you don't really touch it. You'll touch two extremes of the circle. Let's suppose like if you create a line in the middle and you create a like, diameter line, uh, you would touch the left end and the right end mainly mm-hmm. to just raise the volume you would touch the center of that diameter line if you want to like if it's talking to you and you just want to shut it off like you will like mute it this way mm-hmm. but all in all like you're not supposed to touch it unless you want to adjust the volume and even then you can still adjust the volume from the uh from the phone app so i'm eager to see two but right now there's one in our bedroom there's one next to our tv and uh, the living room and we haven't touched them too much i didn't mean like touching it 
was going to make it dirty or something like that. I meant more like uh, either yellowing over time if you have a like paler one or if you have it in a kitchen, there's higher likelihood, let's say, of like oil splashing onto it or like you, you drop a pot of spaghetti oh, sauce onto yeah, it or something. I point. don't know. That's a fair point. Also, just like typical dust because like if yeah, you on dust your apartment, it will still be dusty, right? So uh, I'm eager to see. Right now, after two months, they look good. Though, I like to note that even if I was saying that there was a, a great lineup of colors that fits with uh, current trends, uh, the one we got was uh, black and the other one was a light blue. So I will see with the light blue one. Uh, and if I recall the other colors, uh, there was a possibility of having red. So that can get dirty quite easily. I think. I, and if I recall correctly, there was a light gray because even the black is kind of dark gray. So I, I forgot if the there was it was light gray or white and light gray. But there was like a lighter qual- color than uh, the blue one we got. Uh, in the end, when we so we I I bought the first one that was blue, and then um, when we decided, I was like, oh, let's get the red, and then it was out of order, so we just more or less got the black because that at that point, a couple of days after. Uh, seeing the news and trying to order for Tony, uh, it was already uh, out of stock for all the fancy colors. But uh, all in all, hardware quality, I feel it's quite great. Uh, also, the way the you can quote unquote mount it in two different ways. The way number one is just you put it on a table and that's it. They also put kind of screw all in the back where you screw all in your uh, you screw uh, screw in your wall. And then you can just hang it on this, and uh, there's an orientation where you see like the cable is uh, like the AC cable is oriented in a way where it's like in the middle, like well aligned. So they also have a setup if you want to really hang it from the wall, which I haven't done because I don't want to do that where mines are set up. But uh, I like the flexibility you can have if, let's say, you want to have maybe one uh, closer to your nester thermostat, for example, uh, if you have stuff like that in your home or apartment. Other thing about the hardware quality that surprised me was it was the sound quality. Um even if it's a Google if it's an, a smart speaker assistant, it is still a speaker. Whether you use the um the services that be, can be programmed, so YouTube music for example or all the YouTube slash Google music services that I always forget. Uh, you also have Shopify, uh, Shopify, Spotify. Yeah. That I always mix those two together. Uh, Spotify, like you can configure. Of course, we're on Apple Music also, so that's not. You got the wrong speaker again. Yes, yes, yes. I, I'm just driving as a team here, but it will line at some point. Uh, though, even by that, it, those are uh, those are Bluetooth speakers. So with the app, you can still stream music from your phone to them and uh, I say Bluetooth speaker but I feel it's like it goes through the app and then the the, the configuration for Bluetooth is quite simple from what I've seen like I haven't done it personally it's more or less we played uh, some music Tony, some music that Tony recently quote unquote bought on Apple Music oh no I think this one is an album he bought on iTunes so yeah so we stream it from his phone and I literally he's like oh let me play the new album I bought and then poof it was playing so Simple enough to do that uh, if you are not on Spotify nor uh, YouTube Music. But sometimes we just like play random music, just have some uh, nice background music in the apartment. 
and our YouTube subscription is good enough for this. One feature that I've uh, never realized that was missing in my life, and it is also related to uh, sound quality being good enough, is part of the routine. You can configure that it plays some like nice music while you're about to go to sleep. Uh, and surprisingly, I like that. Look, like I think right now I have it set up so it can play um, ocean sounds. Uh, so I, uh, is that ocean sounds or oh, it's like forest middle of the night sounds? I forgot. Like, but we tried a lot of them, but they have like random nature wildlife sounds that you can put. Uh, and then let's say say uh, their keyword, good night. Uh, and then it runs their good night routine. And the one I configured, for example, is shut down, shut down the lights and then start this music, uh, on the, uh, mini I'm talking to, which in most cases for when I'm talking it to, I'm saying that it is in the one in the bedroom. So it starts this music and it plays it for an hour. Uh, most of these tracks are an hour long. So you put the, the, sound level the volume not too high and it is uh, really calming knowing that i have a couple of stress a couple of uh, my past videos were a bit stressful so really uh, i really like that feature of their routine but we'll talk about the routine in a bit so all in all for a device that was 70 dollars, i felt quite surprised by the quality of it i've heard good comments too about the uh, recent like alexa dot i think too um and i mean uh, i never got one I think I've, I think I've said this, uh, this anecdote on, uh, the podcast in one of our discussion, but if not, I'll repeat myself. Uh, but uh, I think it was, uh, an holiday or two ago. Tony nearly, no, Tony bought me an Amazon, uh, Echo Dot. But, uh, when I said, uh, when he was kind of like in thing, oh, what do you want to Christmas? Oh, what do you think of the Alexa stuff? I'm like, ah, I don't care. They don't speak French. And he was like, <laughs> fuck i bought it so i've learned after i received my i've a like that was like yeah i was supposed to get you an echo but that so now we have uh, that solved and uh but in all in all what i wanted to say with this is uh i felt that uh i don't know if they're as good the echo dot but um if they're a competition i would say that google right now has a good competitor for the echo dot I've seen your Echo Dot in your apartment. I don't think they're the fancy one with uh, fabric on them. They're the plastic no. ones. So I felt that maybe like Amazon stepped up their game with that. Whether it will like, uh, whether it will like stand the test of time. But all in all, like good hardware device, especially uh, if you find them at seventy dollars, which is their normal price. Even better if you find them for cheaper. Now let's talk about the Ohm app itself because. Like I said, the speaker, you can play music, but to do things, either you talk to it or you do stuff through the home app. One of the things, the, 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 the setup to configure, create your house, quote unquote, in the home app or the home and with the, the floors or rooms. Of course, we don't have floors, but the rooms, uh, it's quite good. Also, it detects the, like the, the process to detect the meaning and add it to it. Straightforward, it follows a step. Um, but of course, as with all uh, Google apps, especially on iOS, um, I'm not a big fan of Google's aesthetics uh, these days. I, I I know they're doing something different than what we have on iOS, but um, not a big fan. Um, a good example is to change the language to go to French. It is, first of all, like deep down in menus. And sometimes I was getting lost because I was like reading the menu. So it's a list. Let's put it. It's a list of cells. 
but all of them were like buttons but they were all black text i'm like okay okay good to know the information without knowing that you had to tap and i'm not saying it is like common only in uh, google aesthetics i also think that uh, ios apps are suffering the same problem uh, but I felt that uh, on top of that, uh, the way you navigate in menus, you sometimes have pop-ups in the middle of nowhere, uh, felt that it was always hard to find uh, the right information you were looking for when you were configuring your devices. But once they are configured, which you have to do once you buy them and that's it, uh, everything is on your own page. So you see all your accessories, uh, the routines compared to, let's say, the Philips Hue app or the scenes for Philips Hue. Uh, the routines cannot be triggered in the app, quote unquote. They cannot be triggered on the uh, if you tap on something, but you can tap the microphone to talk to Google Assistant inside the Google Lab app and just say like keyword goodbye, good night, and um, it would do the same thing as if you were talking to uh, the the home uh, the Nest Mini, excuse me. Um, so for that, like I felt that. Like the presentation of it was good enough, uh, but sometimes I was trying to find where can I do things. Uh, related to the functionality inside the app of Google Assistant, while the Home app is Google Assistant itself, it is not the Google Assistant app. And one thing I like from Siri that I haven't found after a month and a half, or nearly even two months of getting those devices, is you know when you talk to Siri and. You, when you trigger a Siri, but you don't talk to it, after some point you'll see you'll see a question mark that mm-hmm. appears, and either you tap on it or you start scrolling in that UI, and then it shows you here's what you can ask Siri. And I'm trying to find this in Google Assistant and cannot find it. I've definitely seen that screen for Google Assistant, but I don't remember where it is. I know it exists though. One of the reasons why I want to see that screen is I am struggling to tell the Google Assistant to not only turn on the lights, but also change their colors. Google Assistant supports that, and the integration with Philips Hue supports that, because I can do it in the app. And I I will use the same sentence that more or less say, like, turn on these lights and change its color to X, right? That's more or less what I use as a, like, French, uh, in French as a, like, syntax sentence. And I would say 40, 50% of the time, it works. Everything is fine. It does turn it on, change the color, or just change the color if I'm asking change the color. Half of them, it's like, you know, Google Assistant, and it starts with their like explanation. You know, Google Assistant can help you turn on and turn off the lights. Also, it can <laughs> change the colors, but it doesn't tell you how to change the color. It just says, I can do it. But so it was able to understand that you were asking it about the lights, but it didn't understand what you wanted it to do for yeah. the lights, which We've bitched about that for uh, multiple times, but for multiple times about Siri. But it's also see, funny to see that Google is struggling with this. Uh maybe our listeners that have some and also is using uh, talking to them in English might say, "Oh, you know what? I've never seen that in English." I just say like, "Turn off lights and change colors to X," and it always work. Uh, and I wonder if it's maybe they're struggling with the French syntax. Who knows? Uh, but. For that, that was uh, one of the main issues I ran into uh, with with uh, talking to it. 
do your lights have the same name as the rooms in your house? Because with Alexa, one of the issues I've noticed is that occasionally it gets confused about whether you're talking about a room group or if you're talking about an individual device. And then if it interprets the wrong one, it'll just like this verb and this type of noun don't work together and it just falls apart like Apple script. Uh, okay, we'll put him fuck- not fucking up in the apartment things. So I have groups here. Nah, no, because in the in the bedroom they're not named like this. They're na- like they have a name. Let's say like like floor lamp or like okay, ceiling okay. lamp. Uh, and in the uh, living room, um, hmm, no, not really. There's so the the the, the three spot floor lamp is called like literally like it's next to the TV, so we call it like TV lamp, and it's like like top, middle, bottom, and the other one is like table lamp. So they're not, and the the rooms are really named living room and like main bedroom. So okay, so no, see, you did the smart thing. It's just like since it's probably my head in the past, I just thought I'd mention it in case it. Applied. No, that's a good point because like I remember changing the name at some point. For, I don't know why uh, in the past with Philips Hue I went into this issue. Maybe it was, doing, it was also I uh, ran into the same exact issue with Siri, uh, but that. One thing that I didn't try with Siri because this feature didn't exist at that time, and it, I think it is, yeah, I think it is, oh yes, it is mainly for HomePod, is multi support user. One thing that is quite nice with the Google system is, uh, I for a uh, for a while to need add is uh, profile set in English uh, and mine in French, and of course it was able to differentiate which is which. Though recently I've seen that he's switched it in the past few days, he's changed it to French, and I've seen today that he ran, uh, it ran its own, his own routines and not mine. Uh, but that, since it's a recent change that we did in our setup, I cannot comment too much if it, if, uh, the routines are shared or if he asked for my routines, if it would run it. Also, another thing I've seen that I liked a lot, uh, with that is the Google Home because it knows where the nest uh, minis are because you set it in the room when you just say turn on the lights it like it knows that it's in the living room so it turns on the light for yeah, that I room that. and that's it uh so also that's why i find it weird that you mentioned oh maybe it's because of the name no because like when i'm in the living room i just say turn on the lights and change the car to x and when i just say turn on the lights it does turn on the lights of the living room when i want to be specific i just say like can you like close the lights in the bedroom and even if I'm in the living room, it does that quite great. So, like, knowing the context of your sentence just for, like, which light you're talking to, that I've seen, like, 100% are reliable, which is super great. Yeah, that's also how it works for Alexa. The naming thing is really more like if you were trying to influence a specific light bulb and the name overlaps with uh, a room group, then it wouldn't work. But that's not. Yeah, I think right now, even with my current set, I don't have an, a lot of lights mm-hmm. uh, that I would need to kind of like just say, turn on this light or that light. I think when we want to do that, from what I've seen, from we will use the iOS app. Like, we're like we want this on, this off, and blah, blah, blah. We'll play it there. Uh, but all in all, when we say, give me, like, it's really, like, when I ask it for light, it's because I need light. Yeah. Not just a part, like, just a light or two being turned on. Now with my setup, how does it fit in my current setup? Of course, Philips U perfectly. Um, the integration uses the Philips U API. It sees everything. Uh, the only thing that 
it doesn't see is the scenes that you can pre-configure in Philips Hue, but you can create groups and kind of more or less give it the same thing. It's just that with scenes, it knows which room lights it should activate and also which color to set to that light. So that I've seen, uh, I've struggled to replicate, but at the time you, we go, we fall back to the Philips Hue app. So it's nice that you can use both app at the same time and they seem to not dislike, they don't seem to dislike the two apps being uh, working at the same time. So that was a big plus because now it brought a voice assistant to my Philips Hue setup, uh, which meant I also realized that I'm using less and less uh, my tap switch. So I sometimes I just like walk in and out of the bedroom. Either I forget to turn off the lights, which Tony hates, but uh, I'll like smash it to just close or open the lights. <laughs> but all in all, I'll like, be like, oh, I'll need a living room. I'm just like turn off the lights in the bedroom. And then I use that. Uh, really useful, especially because I've tried to do that with the uh, Apple Watch, the Philips Hue app. And it was a time of like Watch OS 2 and 3 where the oh, apps were God. slow. So yeah, like we like took like twenty seconds, but for that, uh, quite instant. Knowing that it's also quite fast. Knowing that it doesn't talk over land to the bridge. That's not I forget. It uses the cloud API. Yeah. Uh, but even all in all, like I've seen sometimes it's like maybe take a couple of seconds to react. Uh, but all in all, quite instant after it uh process like after like you finish the sentence and like it does bloop and then it, the lights are off. Routines, uh, like I said, I've configured a couple of routines, but routines kind of reminds me of what Siri shortcuts, no, triggering Siri shortcuts are on iOS. Um, there's predefined like good night, good morning, I'm leaving for work, um, routines that you can do, but the routines in Google Home, from what I've gathered, and I've looked and looked, I think I spent the last two days while writing my notes trying to find out more automation for uh google home and it seems that automation can either be triggered by talking to an assistant or be time-based what i liked um with HomeKit, even with my limited experience was that my presence and where i am located could be helpful uh, for that i have more questions about privacy google and all that stuff in a bit uh, but uh, that was quite useful because at that time when we were using HomeKit, what we were doing is I don't need to tell to Google that I'm leaving the apartment. If oh, like at that point, if HomeKit detected that both Tony and I were out of the apartment, it would automatically shut down the lights because geofencing and all of that stuff. Also, we had a couple of them, a couple of the, the automation, I guess, shortcuts now uh, that were configured to say like, if I am arriving to the apartment, like change the light, the color light to this lamp so to indicate that if the person is in the apartment that i'm arriving um so that was the limit uh of automation in omkit and even those are quite uh, not really present knowing that i don't have like a like a motion sensor or even just like outside temperature it seems with my uh with a lot of my googling in the past few days that if you want to do that you'll need a service like ifttt to kind of do that on top of uh, Google Home and with Google Assistant, and it's okay. Like I, I would have seen, like uh, I would have liked have maybe some of the basic approach that Apple is doing, and maybe not go full IFTTT. Uh, but you'll see that even when we discuss about uh, what you can do with the Roomba, 
uh, it feels that a lot of the smart home dingus are really based on top of IFTT these days. If you want to automate uh, all, all all of them or some of them together, depending on an event of something that happened. Um, so all in all for Philipsu, major win for iRobot. Uh, we'll have to see. <laughs> uh, we'll have to see. Uh, first of all, trying to configure it with Google Home, for, I don't know why, but on my phone it failed. Tony had to do it with his phone. You know, I don't, the kind of the, the spec, uh, this, uh, you go in the, um, you go in the iRobot app, you click on Google Assistant, and it sh- opens the other app, and then it opens the iRobot. At some point it was failing. And I, I tried it multiple times, didn't want to solve. So Tony did it and it worked. So that's good. Also, the support for, for Roombas or for like, like, Cleaning robot in general in uh, Google Assistant and Google Home is quite limited. Like you can tell it, like from what I've gathered on uh, iOS robot website, it supports all of the same features. So like clean, stop cleaning, go back to your base, what's your status, uh, all of that you can ask. But again, you need to ask, and that's what I've realized quite quickly. Is I feel that. There's a lot of stuff that I want to do. Like I'm walking in the apartment. I just want to gather information. I'll ask Google. But when I'm like already like looking at Twitter, I don't want to talk. I, I really want to go in the app and do stuff. And for the for the Philips U, I feel that the Google app is good enough that I would could completely uninstall my Philips U app and do the rest from there, from the Google Home. But for iRobot, no. You you will really keep the iRobot app. And right now we have it more like the our Roomba starts on a schedule, like Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Um, I was thinking maybe maybe doing it either more frequently or by maybe I've seen like, oh, if we leave both the apartment, we could do that or based on a calendar schedule. And a lot of it is, again, based on IFTTT that they would like and they will tell, oh, okay, you're not home or you have an event or you're about you tell you tell Google Assistant you're about to go home. Are you leaving home? And then it will trigger that. So it, there's a lot of oops again that I feel you have to fall back on other services to have a full automation suite. Uh, and I guess maybe that's why in iOS 13, Apple decided to use the shortcuts and really the, the shortcuts editor features. This is to allow you to have that without having a third party or with having a third party that is IFTTT, but still kind of managed by the uh, OM app. Uh, so that's kind of a small, not downside, but kind of a disappointment, I would say, uh, with that. But all in all, I was quite surprised with me, uh, quite enjoying the Google, uh, assistant world. But before I go, uh, onto that even more, I want to discuss about Google and privacy. Because <laughs> even when I said like, more or less, I got free hardware from Google, right? And, I kind of knew it. I was like, you know, it's Google Assistant. We learned about Alexa leaking recordings. We learned about Siri leaking recordings. Uh, different level. Literally, like, Amazon leaked recordings. Like, you, I think it was using the, GP, if you were using the GDPR feature, there was a bug where you would receive somebody else's recording, which is super bad. Uh, and I think for Apple, no, for Apple, it was really like just like contractors, like reviewing like the, the A Siri, uh, triggers. Um, that could have been accidental or not. And also recently, I think last week or something, it came out that Google Photos was giving you other people's photos when you were exporting, uh, or actually other people's videos when you were using the export feature. 
we oh, were getting nice. the wrong person's videos, which is great. I always wanted that. So yeah, and we there was also, especially I think it was for the Google Nest Mini first gen that had problems with the oh yeah the mute button that didn't work that didn't work right. Um, there I have a funny story about this. So uh, the second gen has the mute button, uh, also the light on top of it. It's the f- kind of four dots, literally kind of uh, so. Uh, I don't know where they got this four dot idea. I guess it's Google. It's kind of the Google Home logo now. Isn't um, it like the four Google colors? Uh, no, because on uh, on the mini it's all white, except oh. when you turn it off when you put it in mute mode. Yeah, when it's mute mode. I think it's amber, but uh, it could be a reminiscent of this. But uh, I mean, but the, yeah. that's where the dots come from. They're the yeah. four Google okay. colors. That would make sense. Uh, but yeah, so I've tried that and. In the Google Home app, that's the funny story, is there's one tab that is my home, and there's another tab called Discoveries. And I like I refresh it again, and the only card I have, it's card UI with kind of news, and is the only ad card I have, it's called Disable the Microphone. To disable the microphone, please use the switch next to the power cord behind the uh, Google Me. And there's like, more info button that will open to Safari. So literally, that's the only, only <laughs> quote-unquote news in this app. And that's literally to tell you how to fucking disable the microphone. So I guess, like, Google knows that they fucked up maybe with the with the microphone and privacy. Um, but in the end, uh, I really like the flexibility that gives me to have voice assistance for the lights. I think that is there was a good compromise bef- between having like really dumb lights uh, and having the flexibility of controlling them in your phone. So yes, it's not as like dumb as just a switch, which we discussed in episode 109 where you can get smart switches too. Uh, but right now with my setup, I feel it's a, a good addition. Whether I will keep it or not, that's going to be interesting <laughs> because as discussed, like our calendars on an Apple calendar, our reminders are on Apple reminders, um, our music is in Apple Music. So a lot of the other integration I could use, um, like tell me what's my next event in my calendar, uh, not useful because it cannot read this data. Uh, I, I could tell me the weather, which is, could be nice. I wake up, it tells me the weather. Uh, but I like we all know that those ecosystems are locking you in. And because I, I, I wouldn't say that I have a feat in all of them, but I have my... like. I'm stuck in the Apple one, but with Philips not supporting Siri, uh, my first foot outside, uh, inside the smart home that is not in Apple's play for this, uh, is kind of like in this middle ground where it kind of supports Alexa, kind of supports Google Assistant. I can spend a bit more money if I want to support Siri too. Uh, but all in all, I kind of, I'm in the middle of everything. Because same thing with uh, Roomba. It doesn't support HomeKit, but it supports all the other competitors. So I guess, and that's, again, I kind of going back to the uh, so the conclusion of our episode 109 is, depending on what will be my next purchase, we'll have to see what I'll do with the minis. Right now, I'm not planning any new smart accessories purchase, but who knows if I want to get something and... We'll get into this in a bit because I want to uh, go through the current lineup of smart appliances that Google is selling, and there's a lot. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and I wonder what's going to happen with those because right now I feel that they have a good place. Uh, we like talking to it for uh, that. I haven't talked to it like say like oh uh, weather yes, but like random trivia not. I think we did once or twice. Uh, but all in all, they're like really like a way to just control the lights. And for that, and for the price I got them, or even if you buy one for like thirty, forty dollars, I think they are a good buy for that. Any comments, Yannick? Not really, no. Wow, I'm, I am a bit surprised, to be honest. Well, m- my comment would have been at the privacy section, but you pretty much covered everything that I was going to say. Um, there is sort of a similar uh, analog situation happening on the uh, Amazon side as we sort of see what's happening with r- the Ring Doorbell from a distance because the Ring Doorbell is like uh, collaborating with... Uh, uh, law enforcement and letting police mm, officers yeah. basically like watch your camera uh which is disturbing in itself and you're as an amazon user you sort of start asking yourself well how independent is ring inside of amazon like is this ring's idea or is this an amazon idea uh is there any pushback from amazon for doing this or vice versa is there any pushback at ring for doing this like we have none of those answers and it's really kind of worrisome to think about that and also say like how related are these people to the alexa group because i like the alexa products but not if they're going to be creepy as hell and sort of like your relationship to amazon is you buy products from them so there is a certain level of they have to respect your privacy more and all of that stuff than someone like Google who makes their entire business out of selling ads and selling your, not your information, but selling, uh, profiling you based on the information they have about you. Selling your attention. These days, that's the way I call it is they want to know what will grab your attention and the better they are good at grabbing your attention, the better they will be able to sell ads. Correct. So like, I, I feel better about that relationship I have with Amazon than the relation I have with Google except for like youtube premium which kind of falls outside of their usual (laughs) business model which is strange uh yeah so that's sort of the only like angle i have to add on smart home stuff that i haven't already covered previously on the show uh because it's a relatively recent development but otherwise like for google specific stuff i don't really have any comments to do because i don't have much experience with them at all and i don't really want to have experience with them either although like uh, one of the things I forgot to cover in the Stadia episode is that part of the Stadia setup process is done through the Google Home app because... Huh. Uh, oh, because of Chromecast? Yeah, when you're pairing the controller to the Chromecast, you have to use the Stadia app. Uh, the, not the Stadia app. The Stadia app, app is also used eventually, but you also have to use the Google Home app. I think you have uh. to install like three separate Google apps actually set up wow. Stadia or something. Are you brought two good points? So that's first that uh, Google is using their home uh, app for a lot of things. And second, you mentioned a ring, um, which brings me to the setup. Because I feel if you look currently, and I'll enumerate all the things that Google sells under their uh, Google Nest brand. I feel in the, I think that happened in the last year where everything that is considered smart home is called Google Nest. I consider that to be a mistake, by the way. Oh, interesting. Because in the list of devices that I see right now, I will be covering Home Assistant, Chromecast, Mesh Wi-Fi, Security, Cams, and Thermostat. 
there's two things no yeah two three things that are not called uh on uh nest google nest it is the uh old google home lineup so the first google home the first gen uh, home mini and the uh, home max which is the uh big speaker uh, and competitor to the HomePod, and then there are the two chromecast uh chromecast and chromecast ultra so all in all sorry two categories but there's like five devices out of like 10 or 15 devices that they sell today i'm eager to hear why you think it's a mistake i think uh i have much more allegiance to the nest thermostat i think that when i think the nest brand i think of the thermostat i don't think of literally any other product that has the nest name on it and i don't want them to use that name for unrelated products to the thermostat line it's really just like Hmm. nest is like an iconic design product in a way and it feels like it's just trying to piggyback off of the nest's brand which like i understand why they would want to do that but at the same time like only people who are like real design assholes know about the nest brand and normal people don't really care about the nest brand so it's like it's weird they would try to piggyback on that and like google home is a fine brand like people knew what that was and now trying to explain to people that this thing that used to be called google home is now called nest for what reason i don't know and just confuses people as to like why is it a nest mini when there's also the nest thermostat right it's like it's not a mini nest thermostat so why is it called the nest mini well because the brand is nest now oh well that makes sense i guess i don't know it it seems like a terrible idea to me and i don't understand why they did it uh, especially uh and i kind of will echo the same sentiment but i felt to i really felt looking at their portfolio right now that they should have either stick up with the google branding or the nest branding they should have just said google nest uh, or even the... like Pixel Home, like uh, the hmm. the thing they have instead of the Echo Show, like that could have been like Pixel Home and just yeah, like go the... with it. <laughs> right now it is called the Nest Hub or I don't know why the Nest, uh, the Hub Max. So there's yeah the Nest Hub and the Nest Hub Max. <sighs> and so those are screen based, right? Yes. Because that's the Echo Show. But if you still want to have the audio based one except the mini which is the nest mini then you have the home mini and then you have the google home which is kind of the cylinder one and then you have the home max which is the uh, apple competitor uh, apple homepod competitor so yeah for the home assistant i feel that they're kind of like right now they're kind of in between renaming scheme yeah uh, because they didn't rev the two other products right but all in all i feel that they should have stick their guns and just said everything that is smart home now at apple should be called nest at google no, just Nest. I know, but you said everything smart home at Apple should be oh, called Nest. Wow. And I was like, oh, wow. yeah, at okay, Google. Okay. <laughs> yes, that, wow, I didn't realize it. So yes, everything at Google. Uh, main reason is if you look at all the other products, so I've also I've learned that there's a new thermostat called thermost, called the Nest Thermostat E. But all in all, the remaining of the remaining came from Nest thermostats. Uh, I forgot if it was part of Google or just before the acquisition that Nest went head and head with Ring, but they do have the the Nest Cam IQ and the Nest Cam Indoor Outdoor. So both yeah, of them that's have... Drop Cam that got rebranded, I think. Ah, that's why. That's what I was missing. So yeah, that's another acquisition from Google. Yes. Yeah. So thermostats and also security. They have the uh, Nest Hello and Nest Protec. The Protec is the uh, 
the uh, fire sensor, uh, those were that too. So it feels right now that they w- they want the Nest brand to go compete against Amazon because they have thermostats. Uh, Amazon doesn't have thermostats, but they have deals with a lot of thermostat manufacturers. Uh, Amazon has cams, Google has cams, uh, security, and so much. Uh, they do have mesh Wi-Fi now that they own Eero, and uh, Google has the Google Nest Wi-Fi. This is mesh Wi-Fi too. Which is uh, the they... old on-hub. Ah, so see another acquisition. Uh, they do have Chromecast and the uh, Amazon has the Fire TV stick. Yeah, Fire TV. And then they have more or less the same lineup of home system. A mini one, a cylinder, a fancy speaker to go against the HomePod, and screen-based devices, which I don't know why they have two, but they have two. Amazon has way more products than that. I think you forgot like half or more than half the Alexa lineup. Like there are a ton of Alexa products now. Uh, I don't know if you've seen them. What is it called? The the one that is just like a plate that sits on top of a of a power outlet. It's just like this flat plate. Oh no, I, I haven't seen that one. It's it's on Amazon.ca right now, I think on the front page. But uh yeah, there, there are a bunch of really wacky products that are like what is this use case? And it's like there's a really particular use case that like three people are gonna have. There's a product that exists for it. Uh, Oh yeah, okay. I'm slowly but surely uh, loading that. Uh, yeah, for all in all, I I know that Amazon has a lot more devices, but I do feel that right now Google, and that's more or less where I was going at, is I feel Google has the base lineup to compete to give uh, Amazon competition. Which yes, maybe Amazon is a bit farther down the line, but like if you compare that with Apple, which I wouldn't expect them to do that, but. Uh, they add some of that already. Like you can say Chromecast, they have the Apple TV, but it's super expensive. Home system, they have the most expensive sol- solution to that, which is the HomePod. Uh, they used to have some Wi-Fi network routing play that is now dead. Unfortunately. Unfortunately, um, yes. One of the things that just came to mind is um, there's the AirPods, there's the Pixel Buds, and there's the uh, Echo Buds, I think they're called, which have Alexa like, integrated into them which are all basically the same kind of product. So all in all, the main reason why I was bringing this up is because I was surprised that I knew Amazon's lineup was the fullest under the Alexa brand and Echo brand. They were the first two, which is they were the first. definitely helps. But it feels that at Google, where there are a lot of the acquisitions, uh, they are bringing a lot of own branding and own devices in play. And all in all... I don't think any devices except one category interests me in this. And I will let you guess which one. The thermostat? You're correct. Uh, not right now because I'm living in an apartment. But to me, uh, if we I were to move to a home or a condo or getting my own place, that will be the next thing. Though, the main problem we have here is a lot of our electrical system is on high voltage. And a lot of these are not used to high voltage. They're more used to uh, run uh, like smart, not smart, but like kind of uh, electronic-based heating and cooling systems in buildings that are more prominent in the U.S. So uh, even then, I feel they wouldn't be used. They cannot even drive a normal wall unit EC that is typically installed here. But... All in all, that would I think the next play will happen 
once I get my own home and that would be some kind of thermostat setup because not interested to have cameras inside of my apartment or inside of my home uh, maybe outside but even then I feel also the ring doorbell is useless because most <laughs> apartment building have intercoms um Chromecast I already have Apple TV so who cares and maybe maybe these days having Wi-Fi issues with my rot my uh, like ISP router so maybe but I, at this point I don't want it to be smart I just want it to do Wi-Fi things and that's it so all in all like even if they have a complete a complete lineup even Amazon has a complete lineup the only yep. next big purchase for me feels that it's going to be a thermostat and even then we'll have to see we will yes and that is it so moral uh so conclusion of this episode i really enjoyed the uh me the nest mini that nest only my goodness i'm always google no so the google nest mini second gen see so confusing <laughs> uh great cheap device i think it's a great entry-level smart assistant if you want to um get into smart home but again i think this experience uh I was not expecting this conclusion to change, but this experience with it reaffirms what we said in the past is that you should really choose your devices. Um, those are the word low cost, aka free. So I don't worry if in like in six months or a year, they're like a bit lose less. But uh, the main problem right now is you really need to choose your ecosystem because you might get lost more or less. Which brings me to the quote-unquote hope part of this episode. Oh. And that's with the uh, recent announcement of Project Connected Home over IP. Oh, uh, CHOIP. Yes, CHOIP or CHIP. They, they were saying CHIP, but it was ignoring the over IP. So Connected Home over IP. So it's a project, more or less kind of a conglomerate or kind of a standard body. It's unclear what it is, but it is a project run by most if not all it's a oh yeah it's a working group based by the zigbee alliance so that one of the, the like a uh, wireless tech that is mainly used in smart home but it's also driven by a lot of the big names ikea uh signify which is the company that is like that bought the, the uh, Philips sliding part amazon is there apple is there uh google is there and a lot of the other big players or the smaller players, but they have all decided to work with this body standard, whatever, and maybe possibly standardize a lot of this question mark. We'll have to see. I am uber skeptical about <laughs> this. Too. Uber skeptical, but we'll see. I think right now they do discover that so they do are real they are realizing that either they try to normalize before governing bodies try to do that and uh, we can talk about the app store and all that stuff but that's not the topic for this week or they realize that not normalizing is going is starting to go against them sending a shit ton of hardware because all of these companies they just want to ship uh, to sell hardware but now if you have like me kind of a Philips U plus a Google Home plus iPhones it's a bit of a mess and i'm sure that a lot of people are like me that they just kind of like dip their toe and they're like oh i'll try a bit of this a bit of that there's a deal there so i'll buy this cheaply and they realize that like having all of these 
tech devices talking to each other is so a mess that we're like, oh, I'm not buying anything no more. And hopefully, and maybe I'm a bit too up, too much optimistic here, but hopefully the big players are realizing this and they're trying to fix this. So yes, in the end, we end up buying more hardware, but at least hardware that if I change ecosystem, I don't need to put it in the trash. I can use it in all the ecosystems. To me, what's really baffling about all of this is, isn't this the problem that Zigbee was supposed to solve? And now they're like a member of this thing and you're like, what? <laughs> that was your job. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, but even then, Zigbee always needed the bridge because Zigbee as a communication technology was kind of okay, I would say. Well, so, now they've found like security holes in it. So I, I'm very happy even, that it will be going away. But um, yes. Yeah. So yeah, uh, it's the uh, up hopeful part of the podcast of this episode or not uh but that's i feel where we'll see some news in some kind of timeline in the future i know i'm staying vague because i am quite skeptical of this new project i think the best description i've seen is uh there's an hccd comic saying oh my god there's 14 standard we need to standard uh, we need to normalize them everything and now like a couple of months later it's like oh my god there's 15 standards so yes that's right now my current opinion of Choip Chip Project Chip Project Choip, whatever you want to call it. I I don't disagree. And that's it for me for this week. All right. So if you want to find the show notes for this episode, you can go to limitlesspossibility.net/slash/130, or you can go to listen all go listen to all of our episodes at limitlesspossibility.net. You can find the show on Twitter. It is at Limipo underscore podcast. That's L-I-M-I-P-O underscore podcast. Or you can find us individually on Twitter. I am at Sakurina. That's S-A-K-U-R-I-N-A. And you can find Yukariki at Lukonosh. That's L-U-C-C-O-N-O-U-C-H-E. And we'll see you in two weeks. See you in two weeks.